Welcome to the Soul Space Podcast. Thanks for listening. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, This is the third in a series of podcast episodes that I'm doing with Zach Bloom. He's the lead of, uh, he's the head of developer marketing at Cloudflare. And the last two episodes, we talked about some of the, what I consider the baseline capabilities of Cloudflare, the kinds of things that uh, have been in place on the platform for a long time now, years. And today we're going to get into edge computing. We're going to get into talking about Cloudflare's workers uh, platform. Zach, should I call it a platform or what should I term that? I think platform is fair. I mean, it is a place where people build stuff. And so platform makes sense to me. And, and just to say, I'm I'm super excited to talk about this. This is one of my favorite topics, not just about Cloudflare, about development, like about life and the future in general. So cool. uh, feel free to interrupt me if I talk too much. <laughs> well, your job is to talk a lot and my job is to talk not very much. Um, but, uh, well, let's let's get started with it. Why don't, why don't you take a moment to talk about this big picture question of um, the web at the edge, computing at the edge. Um, it, when we say computing at the edge, that's a super broad topic. I'm definitely interested in the web developer's point of view on that. Like we're still building websites for clients who still need to sell stuff online or have uh, sales prospects come through a sales funnel, which the website is a key component of. Um, so with that context in mind, what, what is this edge thing? That's a great question. So the classic definition of edge computing is kind of what I would call maybe overhyped. It lives in the same category as something like blockchain, where it is exciting and it may have very legitimate and powerful use cases, but it also is misunderstood and grossly overapplied by people who um, who want to prognosticate. They want to predict a future, and they are working really, really hard to shoehorn this technology into that future. So when I first heard about edge computing, what I heard is we're going to have security cameras on every telephone pole, and we need compute power to you know do facial recognition with them. But that's not really an actual use case that I'm that aware of, because generally facial recognition doesn't happen as far as I know on every telephone pole. We don't have the cameras there, and I'm not even sure if we want to live in a world in which that happens. Uh, and, and there were kind of similar stories where there were these almost pseudo made up use cases for having computing power distributed all around the world. Uh, another classic one is self-driving cars. People said, we've successfully bought into this image that self-driving cars are the future. I am an edge computing vendor. I really want to sell edge computing. So I'm going to try to convince you that for some reason you need compute power located in all these locations around the world in order to power your self-driving car fleet. But of course, everyone really conveniently doesn't ask the question of why on earth would I want to be in a car that requires internet connectivity in order to drive? Uh, so there, it's, it's, it's a technology that has spent some time trying to find its applications. We approached it, though, from a very different perspective. And to give a little bit of background, when I say edge computing, what I really mean is moving to, away from the concept of a few centralized locations where all of your compute happens. So a classic website works pretty much the same as a mainframe would have worked 30 years ago, where you have one or more servers located in some location. And it used to be that they would be in the basement of your office. Now maybe they're going to be in Amazon's US East 1 cloud data center or region. But anyone who wants to visit your website travels through the internet to that central location. 
edge computing is saying, for whatever reason, and we can talk a lot about what those reasons might be, that is not sufficient. We actually need compute power located close to users or close to oil pipelines or close to factories or close to security cameras all around the world. And if we have that, we'll be able to build stuff that we can't build right now and be able to improve performance in ways that we can't improve it uh, traditionally. Uh, it has not, again, been a historically very successful concept because, again, it, it's more of a solution looking for a problem. At Cloudflare, we approached it from a very different angle, which is we had a bunch of customers that were asking us for the ability to use this giant network of servers that we've built all around the world in 200 cities to solve a bunch of problems. They really needed to make modifications to websites, for example, you know, uh, optimizely, A-B testing company. They really need to modify websites as they flow through the optimizely, as they flow through the internet, essentially, so that different users get different variants of the site so that they can figure out which one works better, converts better, they can make more money. A-B testing is a super successful concept in the world of e-commerce, and optimizely is a very successful vendor in doing that, but it wasn't working super well because they had to modify their customers' websites to, prov to provide these different variants. And that modification required going back to a few central servers somewhere in order to perform it, which slowed down the websites. And we all know that a slower e-commerce website doesn't convert as well and doesn't make as much money. So it's kind of a, a paradox where uh, in order to do this thing that was a good idea, you had to also accept this pain of worse performance and, and, and lose money in the process. So they came to us and said, is there some way that we can run our code in all of these data centers that you've built around the world? And we kind of got a similar story from a lot of different people who really wanted to build APIs, for example, that had incredibly good performance. So a super, super large vendor said, we have some APIs that aren't that complicated, but we need to hit them in order to render apps and websites all around the world. Is there some way that we could build our API in your edge around the world? And we kind of took all of these problems that people had and tried to look at what solution could we actually build and deploy in a cost-effective way that would let someone sit down, write some code, hit deploy, and have it not run in one location, but have it run basically at the breadth of the internet, you know, in, in 200 different places within some number of milliseconds of basically every internet user on earth. And we ended up settling on technology that was developed for the web browser. Uh, this idea that when you load a website, Google Chrome is executing code for you. And that code that it's executing has to be ran in a, in a trusted way because you really don't want PayPal.com to be able to see things that you're doing on Google.com. It has to start up really, really quickly because when you load a website, you expect it to load and render fast. And it has to be super resource efficient because no one likes it when their web browser consumes all of the memory on their computer or slows things down. And that, those unique combinations ended up being way more suited for edge computing than any traditional model of running code that we could find. You know, the containers, Kubernetes, processes, all kind of failed every one of those metrics. They took a lot longer to start up, something called a cold start that people might be familiar with. They consumed a lot more resources. They did really started overwhelming systems when you tried to run more than about 100 different users' code on a single server, which is totally unacceptable for us because we needed to run thousands or tens of thousands of different people's code on each of our servers. And it turned out this web browser technology was just much more effective. So we took the V8 engine that powers Google Chrome 
this open source product that's gotten probably millions of hours of developer love over the years. And we moved it to run on our servers and we built a whole runtime about it around it. And we implemented all of these browser APIs that have now become standardized things that you can, you know, like the fetch API, these APIs that are used when people write code for the web browser. And we said, instead of coming up with all of our own APIs, let's just implement those. So developers only have to really learn one set of APIs and they can write code that runs in a web browser and they can also write code that runs on our edge around the world and maybe someday they won't need to write code anywhere else and we let people start deploying this code and that solved the problem for Optimizely it solved the problem for that giant API vendor and now it solved the problem for uh, countless other people who either needed to customize their CDN in some way that we couldn't provide or no other vendor could provide or needed to really deploy code in a way that was going to be super fast and super scalable all around the world. And the scalability thing is really cool too, because when you deploy a website and you put Cloudflare in front of it, or you deploy it with Cloudflare, your website is already being served, not by one server or 10 servers or hundred servers, but probably by thousands of servers all around the world. So when you deploy a worker, those thousands of servers are now running your code, which means you can go from zero to a million requests per second and never have to do anything. You don't need an operations person who knows how to scale these things. You don't need to buy a bunch of provisioned instances in advance or plan or call us or plot or anything because your code was already running on so many machines that you have that scale for free. And when you don't get a million requests, maybe you're a startup or you know it's your off season or something, you don't pay for any infrastructure because it takes so little time to start your code that it's actually cheaper for us to spin up your code in a remote data center in Djibouti or Mongolia or wherever that user happens to be, process that request and spin it down if we need to, then it is for the request to travel all the way around the world through the internet. So it's actually more affordable for us to do this edge computing thing and we can scale it up and scale it down in response to a web request so quickly that there's just no overhead that we have to pay for or the customer has to pay for. So it's this crazy combination of factors that means that I kind of see it almost killing the CDN as a concept because the CDN is totally baked around the idea that you're going to have to sit down and separate the assets that are static and, and can be cached and can be really performant from the assets that are dynamic and get have to you know use user data or get rendered in response to a request or something and have to travel all the way back to your central origin. And this kind of eliminates it. It says everything can be both running all around the world and can be super fast and can be totally dynamic, happen in response to a web request, uh, can include things about the user or authentication or customization or whatever you want to do as a web developer. And they all can just run at the breadth of the internet. So it's like a way of building things that really is built around the internet, not built around uh, an elaborate cloud-based extension of a mainframe. So... Let me, As you can tell, it's something I'm very excited about. Well, let me ask you a technical question uh, and then come back to the direction you're headed in. Um, you, you've already got me wondering about replication. Um, so just with, you know, Cloudflare's CDN capability, uh, the, the kind of capability that you guys have had for, for years, you have 200 some odd data centers. Um you know, there's a period of time where you, you, told, you told me a joke how you had 40 back when you were rereading an old blog post. Um, 
but these these data centers are capable of having a copy of a cached object, whether that's a page or an image or a, a JavaScript file or whatever. How how does the replication work where one user in Djibouti makes the request that causes Cloudflare to say, ooh, we don't have a copy of that in our cache. Let's go to the origin, grab that copy, save it. Now, what are the rules? How, how does it work where that gets replicated across the network? Because I'm sure that that bears on how the workers replicate my code across uh, the, the entire system. Can you tell me a little bit about, about that? Sure. So your code gets pushed out and stored in multiple copies in each of these cities. So if you sit down and you write a worker right now using JavaScript or TypeScript, or if you, if you really want to get fancy, you could write it in Rust or something and use, use WebAssembly. But you write your code and you say you deploy it. That code gets pushed to all of these cities. And so it's immediately available. Uh, you know, it, it takes the max is about 30 seconds, but in practice, it's a few seconds to be available in all of these uh, cities around the world. And it's sitting there waiting to be executed. When a request comes in, it gets spun up in an average of 4.4 uh, milliseconds, which is, you know, the tiniest for, you know, it's, you, there's no, met people usually use metrics like the blink of an eye, but the blink of an eye is like 200. And we're talking about four. So it's un un unmeasurable by human standards amount of, amount of time. So that your code is already everywhere, but data, we don't really push out and replicate in that way. And the reason is we just do not have uh, enough hard disk space at an affordable enough price to really think about forcibly storing all data in all locations. Instead, we have to make decisions around efficiency and how many requests something is getting and whether it makes sense for a given page, just like any CDN cache, to live in that cache or to live in more central locations where it should be fetched. In general, Workers gives you a few different places where you can store data. One option is a product we have called Workers KV, which is a key value store. And it's really meant to be written to centrally, for the most part, and then read from really, really quickly all around the world. So when you were talking to ProPublica, for example, they talked about how they actually take their entire website and save it inside Workers KV centrally when they do a deploy. And then all around the world, whenever any of their pages have to be loaded, it gets loaded through Workers KV. And that, as since they get so many requests, will pretty much mean that their content is already in all of our data centers by the time the vast majority of their users ever go to request it. Okay. If they were a much smaller website, though, we wouldn't keep it everywhere. Uh, and we and eventually copies would get evicted from more remote data centers and would get loaded on demand. And that's just a necessary trade-off in order to make it cost effective. Uh, we also have a couple other interesting options of where you can store data that developers might be interested in. One is the, a thing called the cache API, which actually gives you programmatic access to our caches around the world. So inside your worker, you can set data in our cache, like write it to our cache, and then you can read it later in another request. So if you wanted to basically build your own CDN that works exactly the way that you want, or you wanted to cache your user accounts, or your access tokens, or any of this data that normally you would never think about putting in a CDN cache, you can just do that with with a couple lines of code. Okay. All right. So the, the replication question is, uh, the answer is different, whether we're talking about workers KV versus the Cloudflare CDN proper. Um, so coming back to Workers KV, you were starting to talk about different kinds of examples of, of usage. 
And um, one, one of the problems that you touched on that we've been, we developers have been dealing with since um, CDNs became widely available and reasonably um, inexpensive to use is, well, how do we cache as much as we possibly can and shove all of that into the CDN, but also have these dynamic components of the pages? Um, and right. you were starting to talk about like that, a really, really easy example, too, that I can think of, shopping cart. So you got a cart, you're shopping on an e-commerce site, yeah. you're going through a big catalog of their products. The products don't change that often. You know, maybe they change weekly. It's a subset that might that might change weekly. But for the most part, you, you should cache all that stuff. But the user's specific shopping cart items, you know, the count, you got three items in your cart or whatever. Um, sometimes you can store that integer in a cookie and continue to cache. Um, but in, in all respects, you have to somehow deal with there's a dynamic part of the page, but everything else, 97% of the page could be um, statically cached. There's a shopping cart example, and there's also the sort of login, logout state of a given user on some of these types of websites. So could you talk a little bit more about with respect to workers versus the old school way of having um, of having some, some JavaScript running that makes an Ajax call to get the component of the page that you care about so that you can statically cache the rest of it? Maybe we get into that a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with making requests in the browser. You just run into performance issues some of the time, and you run into SEO issues some of the time. And you can make the experience of loading the website a little bit less performant for users who maybe don't have the fastest internet connection or the fastest device. It also might introduce flashes of unstyled content or page rendering changes as right. the page loads and all that information starts coming in. Yeah. So the question that we all as web developers have to answer is what are our standards? What is good enough? You know, what, 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 do we, what performance do we think is good enough? What experience for users do we think good enough is good enough? And in my experience, that bar just continually goes up over time as technology gets better and it becomes more and more possible to really build stuff in the ideal way instead of just, just settling for, for that good enough answer. I think Workers is a really powerful solution to all of this, partially just because it's so much simpler. Uh, when you're doing this in the browser, you're dealing with authentication from the browser, how you make those requests, how your page renders, if you decide to do it in a worker, instead, you are running code in a secure and trusted place. So you don't have to worry so much about public access tokens and authentication between users. You don't really have to worry about the flash of unstyled content. For as far as the user is concerned, they're just going to be delivered a page with their shopping cart in it incredibly quickly. You know, in depending on where you are, 10, 20, 30, 40 milliseconds, they'll have that page rendered with their custom content in it. So the kind of question that I would ask is, if you have that ability to run code close to every user on Earth, why wouldn't you populate the shopping cart in the actual response that they're receiving? So how, how does that work, though? I mean, if it's, um, if it's an e-commerce site, the types that myself and developers like me build, we're dependent on a content management system that has the e-commerce tools baked into it as a plug-in or, or first-party tool. And that's in turn dependent on a database that holds the content. So how much is being put out into the to the edge in the worker? How much of that 
functionality and code and capability is out there versus how much is still right where we're used to it being, which is on a shared hosting provider or a VPS plan somewhere. Yeah, I, I think usually the best move is to take your existing application and think about where you can augment the performance in an incremental way. I don't think most people want to sit down and build an entirely new application from scratch. I think the position of Cloudflare, where it already sits in front of websites, is a really powerful and privileged one. And so we can say, let's look at all of the endpoints that your application hits, and let's see ones that we might be able to improve the performance of, and start there. And everything else can get forwarded through Cloudflare back to the original origin. But maybe we're just going to take the home page, and we're going to say, when the home page loads, we are going to try to make a request in the worker back to the origin to get the shopping cart content and cache it for a reasonable amount of time or to KV and get the shopping cart content. We'll try to inject that into the page. And once we build and ship that, we'll have improved the home page loading time by 30 or 40%. And if there's any error or we don't get our response from the origin in a reasonable amount of time, that's fine. Render the basic default index page and have that really graceful fallback and just make an incremental performance improvement on these pages that are most commonly visited or API endpoints that are most commonly hit. Okay. Uh, most of what we see, most of our customers who are really using workers can kind of divide into people who need a more powerful CDN than any CDN you can buy on the market. So they want to cache a post request for some reason, or they need to invalidate caching based on a cookie in a way that's more complicated than you can conventionally do. Or they need to invalid, you know, look at headers in order to decide caching. Or maybe they need to authenticate requests. You know, you're offering a PDF to your users, but you want to make sure that the users are actually have access tokens before you deliver the PDF. Uh, these things that you can't quite pull off with any other CDN, and even if you could, you'd have to use a really Byzantine configuration language to do it, and it's just way more pleasant to use real code. And then we have a second cohort of users who are taking existing API endpoints or web applications and making them more performant for the most part, more scalable. And that's really where we start sitting in front of the application and kind of incrementally moving endpoints, moving things that could have better performance into the worker. Okay, so let's go back to your homepage example. We found an e-commerce website. Um, the clients, it's not a gigantic e-commerce site. It's basically a mom and pop shop, maybe a little bit bigger. Maybe there's a team of you know, less than seven people full-time who who run this company. Maybe they even have uh, a brick-and-mortar presence somewhere, one or two stores. Not very big, not tons of money. So we're going to take the homepage and we're going to run it through workers. But what part of it goes through a, a worker and what part of it is still, um, you know, managed by the content management system with tem templates written in Twig and um, rendered... Um, by the by the server pulling from the database how much do i hand off to the worker so my answer to that is probably going to be an answer that you you give a lot which is it depends what type of problem you're trying to solve uh if for example our goal is to make that home page render faster then something we do for a lot of wordpress sites is we render the home page as a static web page and then we use, store that somewhere like workers kv and then we use the worker to add any interactive elements that we need. So maybe once an hour, or whenever they deploy, whenever they make a change, their homepage is re-rendered. For WordPress, we commonly use a WordPress plugin that can render pages as static websites. That gets served using worker sites, which is our static website serving tool built on top of this technology. 
And then if they need to reintegrate their shopping cart or their logged in status, well, we can do that using the worker. And all of a sudden, this one most popular page of their site that they care the most about the bounce rate on is coming from the worker, but it's still based on all the content that they have in their CDN. And it's still actually even getting rendered by, uh, sorry, their CMS. It's still getting rendered by their CMS. But we're pulling all, you know, we're pulling the rendered files out and serving them as a augmented static website. Okay. So we got a static homepage that was rendered by the CMS and the static homepage is now, um, it, it's now, its new home is in a worker and that's distributed. The shopping cart part of the navigation bar on that homepage, is there special workers markup in the static HTML that gets processed by the worker? Like how does that shopping cart dynamic information per user get changed, get rewritten at, at load time by the worker? Or is it not? Is that not what's happening? So rewritten is a really good term. Uh, we have an interesting history at Cloudflare of parsing HTML because all the way back to the earliest days of Cloudflare, we had these features like email obfuscation that required us to parse the HTML of the pages we delivered it. And because Cloudflare sits in front of so many websites, something like, I don't know, 26 million websites now, that has to be super, super, super performant for us to be able to offer it. So we've written a whole bunch of different HTML parsers and modifiers over the years. And the most recent one was actually written specifically for workers. And so we started from scratch and we used Rust and we built what, as far as I know, is the most performant HTML parser that exists. Uh, and you can, you can, it's an open source project actually that, that we released and it's baked into workers as a feature called the HTML rewriter. So you can go into a worker and you can write a CSS selector that matches any item on the page. And it will match that item as the page streams through the worker. So it doesn't even slow down the page enough to fully download it. It still streams from your origin. When it finds that selector, you can modify that element any way you want or run any code that you care to run. And then the entire result gets streamed back to the user with essentially no latency added. So what I'm changing on the page is, is specific to the user viewing the page. Um, so is the worker as that, um, you know, as that CSS selector is getting invoked at the time that the HTML is streaming through your parser, um, is the worker capable of making some sort of a call and saying, oh, well, uh, based on the cookie, I know that this is user ID 48, and I'm going to go and I'm going to pull their shopping cart um, list, uh, or I'm going to go pull their username. Um, where... Where is that call made? Is it a call back to the origin server and, and its database or what? So, you know, the, the answer to a lot of these questions that we give, you know, we get a fair number of questions from people saying like, can I do this or does this work? Or am I able to do this? And so often the answer is, it's just code. You can do anything you want. So if you want to make a sub request back to the, your origin database and load that user's shopping cart contents, you can do that. If you want to make a sub request, load their shopping cart contents, store it in the cache so that that data center now knows their shopping cart contents. And then anytime they change what's in their shopping cart, both update it in the cache locally inside that Cloudflare data center and make a asynchronous request back to your origin to keep your, local, your, your central database updated without slowing down the user, you could do that too. Cool. Uh, if you had it all in a cookie, you could look at the cookie and, and manage it. If you had two different origins in two different locations, you could make requests to both of them and then decide which one returns faster. Uh, 
or save the data in both of them if you want to be able to handle cloud outages or failures. Okay. Uh, if if you want to store the data in a JSON web token uh, as a part of uh, the user session, you could do that as well. Um, and and so you know, I know I would love to give you super prescriptive answers, but the it's like asking you know what can I do with Python? Yeah. No. Uh, you no, that's can good. Do anything. <laughs> that that's good. I you know for me to really grok something, I have to get into it like a detailed example. I'm all I'm always example driven in my my learning. So this is I'm good. We we got the answer I I was looking for, which is to say. Um, the, the HTML, uh, is going to, well, in this particular case, we're talking about, I mean, workers can do a lot of different things. We're just talking about the case of a homepage, uh, rendered static HTML streaming through your system. The worker's capable of looking at that as it streams through and picking out parts of the page and saying, you know what, that CSS selector needs to be dynamic. I need to make a call to do a thing, or I need to check um, a, a cached value or I need to look in the cookie real fast or whatever the case may be and then we're changing that dynamically on the fly before it hits the user um, and that that code is uh, it's running from and, and sitting in this worker concept uh, the, this worker capability that we're talking about so I th I'm just rehearsing that to make sure I got it right is that, is that right so far that's all correct. Okay. And if you as the user would like to um, do it in JavaScript instead, for example, you could do that too. So you could have the worker just inject the contents of their shopping cart in JavaScript so that it's available in the page and you can render it with a client-side template. Okay. Uh, if, if you would like to uh, create your own kind of version of edge-side includes where you come up with some HTML tags that kind of represent shopping cart goes here, uh, you could have the worker insert it based on those tags and not even have to write uh, real code, you know, any, any actual code to, to bolt it together. Okay. So whatever the customer is most comfortable with and is easiest for them to do is, is usually the solution that we try to push them towards. Good. But all of this stuff is, is available to you. Okay. Well, I, I force you to go way down into the details, but let's come back up and let's, let's get back to the broader vision of, of workers itself. So you mentioned workers sites, you mentioned workers KV, Let's just talk about the overall inventory of uh, of your workers. Is it should I call it a product line? I was kind of wanting to call it a platform a minute ago. Um, whatever the case may be, what are the different big chunks of that so that we can talk about that? Absolutely. So workers, we've already talked about. It's the ability to write code and run it on our edge in response to a request over the internet. And what you do with that is up to you, and a big subset of it is modifying existing websites, and then another subset is building new APIs or new new websites. We have Workers KV, which is our key value store, and that's the ability to write key value pairs, which can be read really efficiently and affordably from a worker all around the world. And then finally, you have the ability to deploy a website entirely with workers, entirely hosted on Cloudflare. So that's where you have a, a static website. Maybe you've built it with, with something like Gatsby, or you've taken a WordPress site and you've used a WordPress plugin to output it as a static website. And you're going to upload it to Cloudflare, and we will serve it using a worker internally and using KV internally as a static website on the domain of your choice. Um, inside the worker's world, there's a lot of features that are almost like a product in and of themselves. So if you want to do things like um, 
do cryptography. Like you have to sign an HMAC. You're building tokens or something like that. That's available inside of Worker. If you want to, we talked about rewrite a web page. That's available inside of Worker. A lot of you know the cache API that we talked about. A lot of the standard web APIs are also available inside that Worker and really expand its capability almost as if they were additional products, but you don't have to pay for them. Okay, so um, let's let's talk a little bit in more detail about worker sites. So is that just simple? Is that just these are serving static sites, or is there more to it? The exciting thing about worker sites is you are serving static sites, but you actually have complete control over the worker that does the serving. So the kind of entry point, the way that I would explain it to someone who's used to other tools is, yeah, it works just the same way that they do. You type, you know, Wrangler, which is the name of our command line tool, Wrangler deploy, and your site gets deployed and it's a website. It's great. But if you decide that you need to do it to do something a little differently, or maybe you need cores support for it, or you need to authenticate a page or something, you have access to the code that serves the website that runs in the worker. So you can just pop open that JavaScript file and add and augment its capabilities as much as you need. Uh, so it starts as a basic static site, and then the limits of what you can do with it are, are anything you can do with a worker. Okay, so um, so let me make sure I'm not, uh, not going to allow myself to get lost here. So we got worker sites, we have workers KV. Um, and I, I keep thinking in terms of the kinds of clients that we serve and, and their, their sorts of needs and the developers that I, colleagues of mine. Um, but there's, of course, a broad range of web developers out there who don't worry about the same problems I do. They do much more compute-heavy types of tasks for their clients. Um, are there any examples that we could talk about of, of, of how people have pushed workers further than just the simple usage that I'm imagining being able to use it for? To be fair, I would not consider what you're describing to be simple. I think it is the most, I, I think the web should be faster than it is. And moving more and more of these workloads out into the edge, these things that might seem mundane or simple is really the secret to doing that. We do have people who have been looking for a way to run code on the edge for a long time. You know, we have one company that I think evaluated 17 different CDNs and platforms to try to find one that would let them take this API that they have that uh, returns data that's used to for, by mobile apps all around the world. And they really, really needed that data to be t returned very quickly. And so they evaluated all of these different platforms to try to find one that would let them build their API all the way out on the edge. And eventually, obviously, Workers was the one that was able to satisfy their need. Uh, NPM, which is a platform that is used by basically every JavaScript developer, almost every maybe developer on Earth, yeah. to load packages, uh, used to use a conventional CDN, and they really needed to add more capabilities to it. And so they moved it all to Workers. So if you load a package through NPM, it's actually executing a Worker. And it was very, very valuable for them because obviously they operate at very large scale and they need to be able to handle huge spikes in scale, and their CDN-based code was very complicated. Their modern code is much simpler. Uh, that's the general pattern that we, that we commonly see of people who really care about the performance of something, and this is their opportunity to deploy code that will have that performance, and often at very large scale. You know, we have customers who uh, approach a million requests per second, a million Ooh. worker invocations per wow. second or beyond. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, you know, this question of NPM and the, the package ID, I mean, they, they have millions of packages in their, in their repository. Um, how, how do developers make the decision on how much belongs? I, I mean, I don't even understand how to ask the question. How much belongs in the worker, in let's say workers KV or whatever, and how much belongs on an origin server somewhere? Uh, does my question make sense? It does. The most common pattern is people start easy. So they find something that's like, you know, there are people who have APIs that just return the current time, believe it or not, because they need that because people's computers are poorly set. There are people who have APIs that return uh, time zone conversions. Uh, they have APIs that return user information like logged in status and things like that. And that's usually the first target because it's pretty simple. It's easy for them to say like, I'm going to take this API that, uh, returns the current time and I'm just going to write it in a couple lines of JavaScript and deploy it as a worker and then see how that goes. And then usually over time it will expand to be more and more of their business and they'll start conceiving of new projects. So like Discord is a good example, which is a really popular chat tool. Discord uh, was building a new platform and they had had some experience with workers and then all of a sudden they said, okay, we're building this new platform. Obviously we should build it on top of workers because we have seen the advantages of doing that now. Uh, so we usually don't have people who just show up and say, I'm really excited to rewrite my entire <laughs> application. We have people who move things gradually, experiment, have a good experience, and then end up using workers much more heavily when they go and build the next version or the new product. Um, to answer your question about what should be built in workers, the answer to me is well, whatever you can build in workers, which is not going to be everything yet. Uh, it's still a journey for us, and we're still kind of early in the process of making workers capable of doing everything that traditional process container-based servers could do. Because uh, they've had 30, 40 years to build out all of these capabilities, and we've only had a couple. So if you uh, need uh, like access to a raw socket where you can make like low-level networking requests, uh, you can't quite do that in a worker yet, for example. Or if you need to store... Uh, data in a way that uh, is more localized and has more consistency around it so that you can really store the, the core records of your business. Like I'm going to store my user records and things like that. Workers KV is probably not the best tool for you yet. And so I would like everyone to attempt to use workers for all of these things, but it really shines right now in those areas where the tooling is best, <laughs> the tooling is designed for uh, for solving for solving the problem that the person is currently trying to solve. It isn't the tool for everything yet. That's just going to take a tiny bit more time. Okay. Well, um, I've got I've got about a thousand more questions right about workers. And this is this is probably a good time to to call this episode. I'm going to assemble my questions so that they make a lot of sense. <laughs> and the first thing I want to talk about when we come back and do our fourth uh, of this series, which is probably going to be the last. I think we'll cover everything I hoped we would. I, I want to ask some questions about really the, the primary limiter on a lot of the work we do is the question of the database. Um, the stuff that we want to um, assemble into a page for a given user is all sitting in the database. Um, we pull that through some sort of set of rendering rules. So we got templates, uh, you know, and, and those templates have includes and they have logic that you know makes decisions as stuff comes from the database and we show this instead of that depending on whatever value um, 
is is there some concept already or is one coming where this idea of a database lands on the edge too? Right now it's sitting on a server somewhere, AWS or a shared hosting account or whatever. Um, and even AWS has has you know a concept of sort of distributed version of this, but maybe we can get into that question when we talk again. Is is that a fair thing to get into? I'm excited about it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know if it's fair or not, but it sounds fun. <laughs> well, I can't believe 40 minutes already passed by. I feel like we barely scratched the surface on where I wanted to, where I wanted to go with this. But Zach, thanks again for making the time. Um, uh, and then we'll uh, get back on and we'll cover some more of this uh, set of workers questions I have for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Zach. You've been listening to the Soul Space Podcast.